See, humanity is designed to worship something, right? We've got to fill that hole within us that wants to worship something. So if we don't worship God, we're going to be worshiping something. They were worshiping the golden calf. And today we have our own version of the golden calf, which is the money that we trust in and our own work of our hands that we trust in. And these things are can become elevated equal or above God, which he says and commands us never do that. Welcome to Insights, the podcast of Forerunners of America. We're always here to warn the nation, help us to wake up and to respond in faith. We don't want to be immobilized. We, In fact, we want much greater fruit, so let's respond in faith. And to do those two things, both warning and responding in faith, I want to invite our guest for today, Greg Healy. Welcome, Greg. Hey, good afternoon, Dave. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, We've actually been hovering around 80 degrees for the last two or three days, which is unusual for us in April in Michigan. So that and many other things I'm doing well. Um, Greg, I I wanna say that you have challenged me and made me think in new ways through the ideas that you bring uh, to to the table regarding finances, regarding um, the trajectory of our nation, regarding uh, Babylon, which we'll talk about here shortly. Uh, but Greg, this is like the deep end of the pool. And it's actually stuff in some some respects, things that I'm still processing. And I want to introduce our our audience to what you've got to say. I know it's going to be something that we'll all need to uh, process deeply and take to the scriptures for ourselves and sort out. But Lord, or uh, Greg, I... Uh, I do not hear this message coming from hardly anybody. Uh, so anyway, I'm so glad you could could join us here today. Happy to be here. Glad you're here. And Greg Healy, he has a background in, at Wall Street. He has held senior level positions uh, w- with banks. Uh, he's uh, He's got a, a ministry approach that's really revolutionary, and it's called New Breed. And Greg, can you just share with us briefly your heart there? Yeah, sure. The New Breed of Business was a name that I felt like uh, God gave for the description of considering uh, the spiritual things together with the physical things of business. So it's a hybrid of business and ministry together that God can minister through us, even as business people, and how we handle our financial affairs. So I've come out of that way of the world doing business and banking and uh, financial markets and into a understanding of how God thinks about those things and wants to uh, foster those very areas, but in a different heart with a different spirit. You know, that scripture that says renew a right spirit in me. So that's, that's what the new breed of business is all about is like, rediscovering the ancient truths of what God has to say about economy and about finances and about business and uh, reapply that today to have a reformation within the church. Greg, you have connected uh, finances, the economy, uh, banking. You've connected it to to Babylon, mystery Babylon, and what's talked about in Revelation 18. And you have other scriptures and other metaphors and angles on this and so forth. But let's start there. If you can help us to understand 
what we're dealing with this in, in this day and hour as it relates to Mystery Babylon? Sure. Um, yeah, I think it's an important topic for us, and it's a bit of a mystery. What is Mystery Babylon? What does God mean by that in the Bible? And how does it differ from natural Babylon, which was uh, ancient Iraq in particular geography? So I guess we could start with that and then tie it into what are some of the issues of being what I might refer to as in a Babylonian system or construct in our financial markets and in our banking here in America. But then also we've exported that banking throughout the world with the U.S. dollar being the world's uh, settlement and reserve currency. Um, and you could, you could use other biblical terminology as well. Um, the kingdom of God and Israel and the church are all synonymous with eternity in God forever. But there are many other kingdoms that are earthly kingdoms that won't last. And some of these kingdoms are like Babylon or e Egypt and um, uh, some of the other kingdoms that have come and gone. You can boil down to that the, the battle of good and evil in the history of the world <clears throat> is between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Babylon. That's another alternative way of describing it. Um, so all that to say is that Babylon is uh, also referred to as, um, you know, the spirit uh, of the air, where the devil rules over this spirit and principality as a spirit of the air or a spirit of this world. It's, it's another biblical description. All to say is if God is not ruling supreme and is worshipped in a structure or a system, there's only one other alternative, and that alternative is evil. That alternative is inspired by Satan himself. But biblically, that language is sometimes referred to as Babylon. And so when you read the about Mystery Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18, it's actually foretold in the Old Testament. That same Mystery Babylon. It's, uh, it's, it was actually a life verse for me. Back in 2001, I got a verse that was out of Isaiah 52. And that basically that message was, come out, come out, depart from there. Touch no unclean thing. And what is there? There was Babylon physically where the people of Israel were held captive for 70 years as a punishment by God because Babylon defeated and destroyed Jerusalem and Judea. And one of the reasons they were defeated and destroyed is because economically they did not obey God. They did not rest the land, for example. They did not release the debts, for example. Uh, as they were told to every seven years. So the 70 years of captivity where Israel was no longer had its freedom and liberty, those years were the uh, punishment of the 70 years that the land wasn't rested, that the debts weren't forgiven, and that people did not obey God economically. So that's Babylon of Old Testament, but the same parallel exists in the New Testament, and we know that that speaks to the future. And the future is now. If you actually read through uh, Revelation 17 and 18, you get a description economically of how the global commerce and trade systems work. Uh, it talks about merchants and ships and goods and exchange of goods and trading of goods and trading of things and the use of money 
and the exploitation of people and so forth. And that language is described metaphorically. So Mystery Babylon, it says in Revelation 17, an angel says, John, I will explain to you what this means, meaning I will give you the interpretive keys to understand that Mystery Babylon is not Iraq. It is actually a principality and a kingdom in the air of over the whole world. It's described as a city that, it, that has made all of the nations of the world deceived and drunk on the cup of its abominations. That's what he's describing. Anything that exalts a God other than the true God, Jehovah, it could be described today in the 21st century as mystery Babylon. So that's a bit of a background. Is if you look at any system structure or uh, influence or organization that does not give its worship and put Jesus at the highest or Jehovah at the highest, you need to look out because if you, if we're not aligned with God, who else could we be aligned with? So okay, with that as the backdrop, transition us into then what are you seeing in terms of again the. Uh, the economic scenario, the banking, the financial institutions, what are you seeing in terms of modern-day connections or expressions of Mystery Babylon? So a modern-day expression or understanding of it, which has to include idolatry. Um, so <clears throat> Mystery Babylon is uh, this, this corrupting influence, this prostitute described in the Bible. But uh, directly connected to that is anything that's idolatrous, anything that we trust in as a people other than God is a problem to God. The Ten Commandments start with the first two commandments be, have no other gods before me and do not follow or trust in idols. So what idols, when, you, when we read about idols, and again, we have a physical example in the Old Testament, um, and those idols were often ones we describe of like of stone, of wood, maybe a figure, maybe uh, some kind of uh, uh, image that would be worshipped and somehow thought had uh, powers of a deity. Uh, if famously, for example, the Israelites fashioned a golden calf out in the desert out of the gold and treasure they received, having plundered the Egyptians. One of the first things they did was, we don't know what happened to Moses. He went up the mountain. Maybe he's dead. So why don't we make ourselves this idol and let's worship that? Because we've got to worship something. See, humanity's designed to worship something, right? We've got to fill that hole within us that wants to worship something. So if we don't worship God, we're going to be worshiping something. They were worshiping the golden calf. And today we have our own version of the golden calf, which is the money that we trust in and our own work of our hands that we trust in. And these things are, can become elevated equal or above God, which he says and commands us never do that. In fact, the Israelites, again, as a great example, were warned, do not do that in Deuteronomy 8, for example. God said, I've taken you through this terrible wilderness for 40 years to test your hearts. Now, when you're about to go into the promised land, I warn you, do not go into the promised land and enjoy its benefit of settling down in houses and vineyards you didn't plant, uh, houses you didn't build, land that you didn't cultivate, and 
I've given you those things as a gift because that's your promised land. I've kicked out the Canaanites, not because of your righteousness, but because of their wickedness. And as a result, you're coming into this blessing. But don't think the blessing was your own doing. It's a gift. But what will happen, and the warning was, like, once you get into the promised land and you start building your farms, developing your businesses, building economy, the temptation will be, look at what I've done. I have created this. I have done that. I am magnificent in my own sight. And what that is interpretively meaning is to say you're creating your own God. You're saying, I did this and I did that. And look, I'm great. It's like pride that comes over. And instead of realizing, gee, I'm only here because God opened up the promises through Abraham and his covenant. Instead, I got this notion that, I, well, I worked hard and I built a vine, you know, vineyard and I added on to this and I did that and I reaped this profit and now I've created all of this. And God warns us, do not do that. So that's like this idolatry today where we say, listen, we're, we're Americans. We're entrepreneur, entrepreneurial. We're creative. We have capital. Capital gets put to work and makes more capital. We create jobs. Who do we have to thank for all that? Is it God? Or is it our own ingenuity? Is it our own selves? Is it our own money? Is it our own capital? And that's where this trouble comes in, is as soon as we start forgetting about God or saying, you know, God, thank you very much, but we can take it from here. Now I will just do what I can do because I'm my own God. It's a little bit like in Genesis 11, where the people of the world built a tower called the Tower of Babel, and why did they do it? They wanted to be like God. They wanted to reach the heavens like God. And we know, again, in God's sight, that's wicked. And so when we have situations like that, which is what we have in Revelation 18, and that's what we have in our modern economy, our capitalistic economy worships what? Not Jesus. It worships the capital. So the capital and the manpower and those who wield it become godlike, and that creates a problem. It creates an idolatrous structure that has to be judged by God. It can't last. And like all those ancient kingdoms that went away that thought they were mighty, like Nebuchadnezzar, remember Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible, thought he stood on the top of his roof deck on his castle and looked upon the whole world and his kingdom and said, look at this marvelous kingdom that I have built for myself. And as soon as he uttered those words, he was struck down by God and he had to become animal-like for seven years to humble himself. And that's the same issue. It's the same issue today when we try to create our own empires, our own business empires, our own financial empires. And we, we don't call ourselves gods, but we act as though we are. So we're really trusting in money, and we're, we're in an environment— a Babylonian atmosphere, if I can call it that, but we're in this impulse throughout culture of pursuing money, pursuing things, having more comfort in our lifestyles. But then wrapped up in all of that, what you're highlighting is there's a pride, another impulse, of maybe a greater impulse with some, of pride that that I've done this. And it's this, those two areas in particular that you're highlighting describe or give characteristics of Mystery Babylon. Is that right? Yeah, because Mystery Babylon is that spiritual influence that seduces the world into thinking, oh, there's no God, it's just me. Oh, there's no God other than what I can control and command. 
if I have 10 battleships and you have five, I win because I have greater power. So there's this whole notion of becoming godlike. You've heard, like, for example, sometimes people refer to individuals who are prominent on Wall Street as, quote, masters of the universe. Have you ever heard that? Oh, yeah. And what they're referring to is those who have concentrated wealth, money, and power. Because money is equated to power, and power is looked upon almost as like a deification in the modern sense. Like, hey, with money, you're unstoppable. With money, you can do anything. With money, I can, you know, have have or do whatever I'd like. I have freedom and liberty. I can enjoy this and do that. Now, we know as believers that deep down underneath that is great emptiness. But money offers like solutions to all these problems. So it has become, in the modern day, capitalist king. Jesus is not king, capitalist king. And in the money, business financial realm. And so money, yeah, money uh, solves all our problems. Money solves all our problems. Yeah. And if and, and and one of the things that even Christians get caught up in is without money, I can't do anything. Without money, I'll die. So you, money could be an issue as I'm the master of the universe, Gordon Gecko. How many yachts can you water ski behind, Gordon, before that's enough, before you're satisfied? Okay, that's, that's big time greed. We can understand that. Gordon Gecko of Wall Street fame in terms of the movie. Keep, keep going, Greg. Yes, exactly. The movie Wall Street from 1987, Michael Douglas famously axed Gordon Gecko, And he was a billionaire hedge fund manager. And so uh, the, this line was being quoted against them. But see, greed can be big like that, but it can also be a little greed idle in our heart. Like, hey, I just need a little bit more to make sure that I'm taken care of and my family's taken care of. If I could just get a little of this or a little more of that, then I'll have enough to survive, take care of myself and, and prosper. And when we turn inward like that and we're not trusting and depending on God, that's as rotting of an influence of greed as the big greed is of like, hey, I can never have enough and I'm never satisfied. The other part is, well, if I don't have that money, then I'm very afraid for my future. What on earth am I going to do? How am I going to make the mortgage payments? I lost my job. Now what? I'm dead. I'm done. I don't have the money. I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to be I won't be able to feed my family. I won't be able to send my kids to those good schools anymore. I won't be able to do what I thought I could do, and I'm afraid. So where is that fear coming from? It's not coming from God. It's coming from Babylon. It's coming from the enemy of our souls, which is trying to puppeteer us and control us through these influences. And when that happens through our systems, through the credit scoring system, the debt system, the banking system, the investment system, the financial markets, when it triggers those spiritual temptations and we bite, we kind of come into agreement with it, it creates trouble and problems. And God has a way of doing things that's perfectly right and righteous in the business financial sense. But we've abandoned a lot of those truths in the Bible, and we've kind of in a sloppy way in American Christianity just said, oh, capitalism is God's free will market, and there's nothing wrong with it. But what we don't acknowledge is that this very system is doing the things that God says he hates. This system exploits the poor. This system takes advantage of people. 
This system uh, benefits the rich and it does and it, it, it disadvantages the poor. Like okay, Greg, what happened? Okay, Greg, how how does it disadvantage the poor? So we'll just let's just talk about retail financial products. You. Everyone uh, looks at having a credit product with a bank, oftentimes in American life, to buy a home, to buy a car, uh, to take a vacation sometimes. Like people use credit. It's part of our culture. In fact, most people, if you ask them, well, how would you ever be able to afford to buy a house these days, like the housing market's now taking off, most people would say, well, without a mortgage, without debt, there's no way I'd ever be able to afford any of that. Well, one of the problems is when you go get debt, the rich get a better deal and the poor get a worse deal. And sometimes the poor can get no deal. So we okay, so, talk about- So just describe yeah. that. Like, describe that. Like what happens at a bank when you're a poor person and, and it's not working in your favor? I'm sorry, Mr. Jane Doe, Mr. John, or Mrs. Jane Doe, Mrs. Mr. John Doe. We can't help you because your credit score is not high enough um, we see here that you know you you didn't pay a medical bill. We, you didn't pay that credit card on time. You looked like you were sixty days late. That's that makes us concerned. So I'm sorry, we cannot give you a loan today. Whereas as opposed to or maybe somebody who's self-employed or struggled, lost their job, got one back, working part time. Well, as opposed to to a couple, let's say they don't have kids yet. They're yuppies. They have really good professional jobs, steady paycheck from great blue chip names of big corporations. Maybe husband works for Google and the wife works for Microsoft and they each make a quarter million dollars a year. Well, the bank will lend to you all day long and you're going to get the best interest rate of anyone because you're such a good credit and you have so much money. Now, isn't that kind of funny? The more money you have, the more money you can borrow. But if you actually need money, you can't borrow it because you're shut out of the credit system. Or if you do borrow, you're considered a subprime um, creditor. And a subprime creditor is going to pay more interest. You know, Instead of a 3% mortgage, they might have a 6% mortgage. They might have a 10% mortgage. They might have a 12% mortgage. They might have no mortgage. And then you start getting, the, the poorer you are and the more access you want to credit, then you get into payday lending, credit cards, all sorts of the darker bad side of the uh, credit markets for retail products. And people are abused, they're taken advantage of, like you know the banks, for example, uh, not too distant past were fined by the federal government, by the regulators because they were charging too much fees for overdraft. So if you're poor and you have very little money in your account, you only have $15, but you need to buy food and you, you put your card in, your debit card into the grocery store and you have $16, all of a sudden Bank of America says, well, you owe us $50. You're over, you've overdrawn. But that is an unfair charge, that $50 charge. And the banks will rationalize it. They say, well, we need that $50 because we don't make any money on $15 of collecting the interest on that deposit. So we make our money by charging you those big fees. Like that's how we have to do it. But that's not necessarily the case. And even if it is, God commands us in the scripture, and we've forgotten about this, that as business people, as financial people, 
we can never take advantage of the poor. We're not supposed to lend, for example, to the poor at interest at all because they're in need. So if you're in need, you don't want to get abused by compound interest, which can basically indebt you for life. Many people have 30-year mortgages. Many people never get out of their mortgage debt. And it's kind of a perpetual cycle. Okay, so let's go a little further here on debt as part of the Babylonian system. Obviously, debt is a huge part of the global economic system. It's a huge part of America. You've just explained that's how we get a mortgage to buy a home. That's how we uh, uh, purchase a car and student loans and on and on it goes. Okay, so let's talk about this. Why, why do you see debt as part of the, um, the foundation, I guess, of the Babylonian system? Like, why is debt so bad? Well, debt is uh, in and of itself permissible by God. But basically what he said was, when you lend to people, don't take advantage of the poor. Don't uh, charge interest to those who need help. And so we, instead, capitalism says, no, we have to charge those people because they're higher risk more interest because there's a higher risk of default in order to make money. And basically what God was telling his people in Israel is, listen, don't make your profit off the people struggling. Don't be greedy like that. Instead, be satisfied that you make profit on, say, the highest 75% of your customer base. And if you don't make any money on the bottom 25%, that's righteousness before God. Well, the, the banking system doesn't care about any of that and isn't structured like that. Furthermore, God says, give an escape hatch if somebody's indebted to you to forgive their debt periodically. Because he doesn't want anybody enslaved forever, right? But in the capitalistic system, there's no structure that's like that for the business itself, the business practice itself. And also, if you pledge something like collateral, the idea in capitalism is, well, that's why you pledge the collateral, because we lent you this money and you don't repay, we take your collateral, and that settles the matter. But God says, no, it's righteous. This is somebody's in trouble, and they're about to lose their home. Consider giving them their collateral back as an act of mercy before God. And ultimately, there was the Jubilee concept where lands were released back into the family hands. So capitalism doesn't have those structures because capitalism, the, the, the lender is the one in control and basically calls the shots. And contractually, they will always recapture so they prevent losses. Anything that you might own, your house, your car, they, they'll take it back. And when they do that, people are not terribly concerned about individuals or people or having compassion. They just say, hey, you did the deal. You took the money. Too bad for you. Business is business. I've just got to make sure that I don't lose my shirt. Hope, good luck. I hope you do all right. I mean, I've had many, I've had many even judges in civil court tell people who are poor who got their house foreclosed upon, you know, good luck. I had to, you know, give the bank their their house, but good luck. You know, it's like that's that's about all you get if you're if you're struggling. Okay. So what would you say to whoever they're gonna go out and buy a brand new seventy thousand dollar pickup truck and they've done a good job to save twenty thousand, but now they're gonna go to the bank and they're gonna get 
approved, let's say their credit score is good enough, they're going to get approved for a $50,000 car loan. What do, you, what do you tell that person? Well, what I would say is consider if you don't have your job, how you're going to make that payment. And consider if you can't make that payment, how's that going to make you feel? How are you going to feel if you have to look over your shoulder every 20 minutes and see if the repo man's coming in your driveway to take that nice truck away? And when that truck is taken, what are you going to drive then? Now, a lot of people will lease a truck like you're describing or, or buy a truck like you're describing and take a big loan out because they have a steady job, right? Hey, no problem. I've got good employment. I've got this income coming in. I'll just pay that as it comes. But whenever we're indebting ourselves like that, we're basically a slave to that structure and system. And then we kind of become a slave to the job. So we didn't have 70 in cash to buy the truck. Now we're kind of stuck in our job. Well, man, if I lose this job, the repo man's coming. So that's a peer sitting on my shoulder over here. I better not lose that job, man. I hate my job, but I got to have that job because I have that truck in the drop. So you, you have these dynamics that go on. They're subtle, but they're there. And oftentimes when we don't think they're there, it's because you know we have job security or income security or uh, savings or what have you to back it up. But when those things go away, which is part of my testimony, it, it reveals like the, the matter and who you trust. And so what I would say is like consider buying a used pickup for 20,000 instead of the new one for 70. Um, consider saving a few more years with that beater before you buy the nice one. Or consider that, you know, maybe wait till you have the 70 grand to buy it. Things like this. So would be would it be fair to say don't get caught up in the Babylonian system, which is a worldwide system of fear and greed and other things, but don't get caught up in this. And therefore, what you're going to what you're going to do is you're going to uh, save and, and avoid, uh, pretty much avoid debt. Not that we can always avoid debt, but avoid debt because we don't want to become slaves. Yes, and this is not a thing in isolation apart from God. This is, in fact, very much in tune with God. If you need a truck or you want a nice truck, pray and talk to the Lord about it. Maybe he has an opportunity for you to have that truck just not in the way you imagined it, or maybe not in the timing you imagined it. Maybe somebody gives you a truck. That's actually happens. But in our modern day economy, where we're alone and isolated and independent or as an island, and we think of, man, if I don't have the money, like there's no way anyone's ever going to help me, or there's no other alternative. I just have to get to this money. And that kind of thinking is exactly that stinking thinking of Babylon where the devil's trying to control and puppeteer us and say, hey, no one's going to take care of you but you. So you got to take care of business. Like, you got to have that money. And what we don't realize is when we put debt into that equation, we're setting ourselves up to be uh, slaves to the fear if we don't have what we thought we were going to have. And then before we know it, we're like, slaves to the career, maybe that wouldn't be our first choice if we had the freedom under God to do something we wanted. To do. Or maybe we have a debt that has to be serviced, so we've got to have two jobs instead of one. And now we have no time for family and no time for God. It's just things like that, that the way the culture is set up to get ahead is, is geared to keep you 
on the rat wheel of this slavery. So along with economic slavery and debt slavery, there's also career slavery and financial slavery that kind of locks you in to a life where guess what? Babylon or the devil wants to see you waste your life just chasing after the things that you perceive you need to provide for you and your family. And then before you know it, you're dead or you're 70 or 80 or 90 years old and you have not perhaps accomplished what you wanted to, or maybe you didn't perform, you didn't get to do the calling of what God made you to be. Um, and sometimes that can be because we were so worried and wound up about income and job and how we're going to pay for this and have a car and have a house that we, we had to work so hard to do that, that we ended up not making the impact eternally that we desire with our life. And if Satan can't have our souls, his next best strategy is to have us expire worthless from an eternal benefit and eternal treasure standpoint. Hmm. Wow. I mean, this is just part of the air we breathe here in America. There's so much money flowing and so many opportunities, and this, these decisions we're going to make have eternal uh, implications, as you're highlighting here. You know, Greg, I want to just say in terms of uh, helping us to understand some of the key areas where we're going to get sucked into Babylon. You've hit them, but I just want to summarize them, and you you go ahead and add whatever on to this as we, as we kind of get wrapping up here on this podcast. But first, um, there's banking, and specifically, it's that the borrower is slave to the lender. We've got to be extremely careful how we're interacting with the bank in this le- level of debt. Okay, then the second area... Uh, which actually we, we haven't touched on here yet, but is insurance. And, and God God is telling us, care about each other. That's the biblical model. It's not the forms of insurance that we have today, although we're required to have many of them, whether it's uh, uh, car insurance or, or home insurance or whatever, and then we choose things like life insurance, whatever. But the, the biblical model is not sending out a check to some nameless, faceless person who's trying to make as much money off of you as possible each month through insurance, but it's that we care about each other. That is God's way of insurance. And then the third area of Babylon you were hitting on a few minutes ago, and that is the whole financial markets, investments, and these kinds of things, often driven by fear and greed. And what's God's What's God's plan is that we trust him and we're not driven by fear and greed. So when we think about banking, we think about insurance, and we think about um, investments, those would be the three, in my mind, listening to you, um, those would be the three primary areas probably where we could get sucked into the Babylonian system. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at all three, they are headed more and more, and they're more and more being geared towards relationless interaction and transactions. So you just said it, my insurance company, I send away this premium check. I may never have an issue with my house, but I keep sending this check to the nameless, faceless people at um, insurance company XYZ, which might've been a mutual once upon a time, which might've been a collection of the community of people once upon a time, but it no longer is. A lot of the mutuals uh, went public. And when you go public, you take on new shareholders and those shareholders demand a profit. And as a customer paying the premium, you don't know the shareholders. The shareholders are diffuse. There may be 20,000 shareholders. 
Uh, the top 100 may all be institutions. There's nobody there who wants to talk to you as the client. They just want their profit. So what we see is this depersonalization of finance. We see that the people who are shareholders just want to collect their money. They really don't want to be bothered too much by all of what goes on in terms of how that money is made. Just you do that. You do the money making. I want to give you my capital. I just demand this profit. So we've moved away from community and trusting the Lord and trusting in each other uh, for help. And we've moved that into the nameless, faceless, robotized, systematized, technologized realm of, well, I've, I, every man an island and I need to take care of myself and my household, so I need this insurance. Uh, every man an island, so I need to take care of myself. I need um, these investments to grow because if they don't grow, I won't have the money that I need for my future. And that's how everyone grows them is they just become shareholders in the stock market. So I need to be a shareholder. And then I just vote with everybody else. And I don't even really know what the business practices may be. Even if I know if the business practices are bad and are not in alignment with God, if um, Apple or Pepsi or you know Coca-Cola are making corporate decisions that do not align with scripture, well, that's just the way it is. God knows, you know, I need that profit. I need those stocks to grow because that's how I'm going to pay for my kids' education and my retirement and my needs for the future. I kind of have to like let that go. And I, I'm just one little shareholder. I can't influence that. But the trouble is when we hop on board uh, that train collectively, we're also wielding the hammer uh, of make the profit, make the profit. And that's not necessarily the best thing for people. Um, and then if you look at banking, it's a similar kind of construct. There's nobody, it's not a people working with people anymore. It's people who are enslaved in a system or a part of a system. And there's nobody on the other end who personally can help you or me in that system. And it's designed that way. It's designed that the call center cannot lose any money by helping you. They're just paid their salary to answer questions and demand payment, but they'll never have much authority to really do anything on your behalf. And, and that's kind of what this system is becoming more and more like. So there's really no relationship, no relational connection. And really what's going on here is that uh, we are like widgets in the in the machine and there's no like if you can't meet your payment whether it's a mortgage or some other loan you can't meet it it's not like they're there to to work with you and hey you've been a good customer for with us this bank for a number of years it's more of just a, a hard cold reality of you don't know us in the bank and, and we don't know you therefore um we're just going to repossess your vehicle right and if you look at the movie we're talking about this this morning um, it's a Wonderful Life, you see this contrast between George, who's running the um, uh, savings and loan organization during the Great Depression and during the bank run. And then you have Mr. Potter running the bank in his style and his way. And you can start to see there's two ways of doing banking. There's two ways of doing business. George is trying to help the community out. The community is rushing in in fear, saying, I want all my money out of this bank. And George is pleading with them, saying, no, you don't understand. Your money is with uh, Dave Smith over here, and 
your your money's in the mortgage of this your neighbor down the street, you know, Avenue B. And he's trying to explain to people that you're all connected together. If you all come in in a panic and demand all your money, the bank will foreclose. The whole thing will fold. And then nobody will have anything to work with. It'll all be broken and destroyed. So he's trying to plead with people like, listen, have compassion with each other. Don't panic. Don't, don't, don't turn to your lowest base fears. Realize we've got to work together. So that's actually God's way of thinking about banking and thinking about helping people. Is it's not about me and getting my two hundred dollars out, which was what they were trying to withdraw each one of them, or you know, in the movie. Um, it was like, well, how much do you really need? Do you need two hundred, or do you need just something to buy dinner tonight? Well, I could do it with five, George. And then each one kind of like works together with one another, and they quickly realize, wow, we don't have to shut the bank down because I really don't need what I thought I needed in my panic. Uh, we can actually work this out together. That's a great picture of how God sees financial affairs in righteousness. Then you had the banker Potter, who's depicted as the greedy old Scrooge type character, who's always looking for the angle of how he can exploit a bank, take a bank over. Well, George, I'll I'll hire you. I'll pay you a big salary, and then we can exploit twice the amount of people for our profitability. You'll benefit though, so it's okay. And that's kind of this picture of the the picture of profiteering without compassion or caring for the customer. It's the 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 most important thing is you have to make that profit. And when we do that, we cut the corners oftentimes of the people. And now today, people are just demanding markets go higher, markets go higher, earnings per share go higher, shareholders need to get a better return on the market. And by doing that, we're kind of ignoring how that's getting made or done. And we're excuse making and saying, hey, it's just business. You know, we just have to do what we have to do. But, you know, we all want those markets to go higher because we need our investments to get bigger. Well, the way God looks at investments is not kind of this amorphous idea of the greed of like ever bigger returns on investment. He looks at investment as how do you invest in people? When you invest in someone spiritually, you're not expecting to be repaid in a spiritual token directly here on earth. Like, well, if I help this person spiritually, then they're going to help me or someone else is going to help me. It's like we leave that to God when it becomes a spiritual investment. We say, you know, God said that the Great Commission is to go preach the gospel to all the world. We're not looking for what am I getting out of it? We're just trying to obey God, right? Well, we need to think of our investing monetarily like that too, which is it's not about the, the, the top priority is not about how much money am I going to make? It's like, how can I help a person achieve their dreams by investing in what God's given them to do? And if I make money, great, but if I don't, that's okay. I'm freely releasing this investment so that that person can be helped. That person can be brought higher. In that way, our community can be brought higher. We can take people out of poverty, not by just handouts and benevolence after we made our profit, but we can actually teach them how to make sales or how to make tents or how to have a trade or how to build a business or how to be blessed by God, how to grow a family. And in that way, we can see how investment is really 
not about us and how much we're going to make or saving our own butts or having a bigger fortune at the end of our days. It's about, well, you know, what I'm doing can help invest in another and then they can invest in others. And we can see that multiply and grow. And then everyone's going to be blessed. And that's a good thing. So before we go, Greg, this is so crucial because in Revelation chapter 18, verse 4, God is speaking and he's talking about Babylon and he says, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or participate in her plagues. And this is huge as we look at where where the story of Babylon uh, begins in the book of Revelation in, in chapter 17 and concludes in chapter 19, that Babylon will be judged. These systems, these th- Antichrist systems, the, 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 the very things that we've described here that are, are not just neutral, but actually being uh, orchestrated or um, inspired by Satan himself, those will be judged, and we must come out of, out of Babylon. And right. I also— and I'll just interject that, that, again, that Babylon is a spiritual Babylon. It doesn't mean move out of the geography, which today we call Babylon. No, it's a spiritual metaphor for stop behaving that way. Don't conform to the world any longer. Paul wrote that in Romans. But instead, renew your mind in Christ. Come out of a Babylon way of being and being a slave to Babylon and come into the freedom and liberty of Jesus Christ as a Christian in the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. He's saying, my people, you, you cannot afford to be idolatrous, adulterous any longer. You can't partner with that spirit. It's not, uh, it's not going to last. It's going to be judged. So if, unless you want to be judged, come out of her. That's the only way to not, not to be sharing in the judgment. And so in the previous Insights podcast, Leona Smith and I, we talked specifically about all the scriptural backing and how God views nations and how God either blesses nations or judges nations. It's super important that we're wrapping our minds around these things. And to help us do that here in closing, I just want to read some awesome advice from the scriptures, and it comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 7. And I believe this can help us respond in faith as well as everything we just talked about to recognize Babylon, come out of Babylon. All of that is to respond in faith. I want to also challenge us, uh, challenge us with this passage as we close. So 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 7. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And then a little bit later in the chapter, it picks this topic up again and says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And that last verse says that we fix our hope uh, not on riches, but on God. And as we think about 
globally, Babylon being judged, coming into ruins in one hour is what Revelation 18 teaches. When we think about that, this is so crucial. Hope in God and not putting our trust or hope in riches. Greg, thank you for enlightening us here. Uh, plenty of things to grapple and, uh, and sort out as we want to bring this into application uh, for each of us in our own situations and how God's leading us. But thank you for being a part. We can find you at newbreed.co, not .com. Your, your, your website is memorable because it's newbreed.co. Oh, that's <laughs> Yep, leave the M off. And so people can find more of your... Uh, perspective and insights insights there so thank you greg for for joining us we look forward to being with you next time you're welcome thank you for having me on and thank you for joining us we look forward to being with you next time on insights